Let's open our Bibles to Luke's gospel this morning, Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2, we come to a familiar passage of Scripture and the unfolding story of Christ's birth. And so let's look together at verses 1 through 20 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Our Christmas series this December is called The History of Christmas with emphasis on His, His being uh, Christmas's His story. We started in the very beginning back in Genesis chapter 3, particularly verse 15, and reminded ourselves how that God created this world in perfection. But because Adam and Eve failed to believe God's word and trust in his plan, they brought sin into the world. And by bringing sin into the world, they yielded to Satan's temptation, which was to doubt God's word and to question God's goodness. And as a result of their yielding to Satan's temptation and sinning against God's plan, everything changed. The world which was created in perfection, was now filled with sin and sorrow, suffering, chaos, and death. But God had a plan. 
And he made a promise. And the promise of Genesis 3.15 is, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is the promise he made to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, that is the seed of the woman, will bruise your head. He will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise wrapped up in Genesis 3.15 is that God will send a Savior through the seed of the woman who will crush the head of Satan and declare victory over sin and death by his own death on a cross. His sacrificial death will bring forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who will trust in him. This was God's answer to sin. This was his promise to mankind. We then last week took time to emphasize that the Bible, since the promise made in the book of Genesis, is one big story. That everything written for us in the Old Testament is the history of how God fulfilled the promise that he made in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It's a reminder that the Bible is a book about Jesus. It is the story of how God saves sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. We considered several of the prophecies recorded for us in the history of the Old Testament, but one in particular, the one in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, how that the sign of the coming of the Savior, the seed of the woman, it will be his birth from a virgin. This will be no ordinary baby. This will be God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. The guarantee of Christ's coming is given to us throughout the Old Testament. Everything is working together according to God's plan to bring us a Savior just as He promised. And that is where we are this morning. We've examined the promise made at the beginning of creation. We've traced the prophecies of the Old Testament that a Savior indeed will come. Now we open up to the New Testament. And we see Christmas Day. We see the pronouncement of born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is the title of our message this morning, born to you this day, a Savior. Christmas has come. Notice several things with me here in Luke chapter 2 this morning. First of all, we note the promise fulfilled the promise fulfilled that's how Luke chapter 2 opens up with the fulfillment of the promise look at verse number 1 it says in the very opening phrase and it came to pass and put emphasis here on the word it the it came to pass and the question is what is the it what is the it that came to pass well the it of Luke 2, 1 is the promise that God gave in not only Genesis 3, 15, that a Savior would come to the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, but also all the other prophecies throughout the Old Testament. The, the it, that, that a Redeemer, a Rescuer, a, a Savior, that, that an answer for sin would come. This is the it 
that is coming to pass in Luke chapter 2. Let me just remind you of these things that are uh, woven for us in the Old Testament. Of course, Genesis 3.15, the it of he, he, this, this baby who will be born, he will bruise the head of the serpent. Genesis 12, 3, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the it, the prophecy, that in Abraham, the seed of Abraham, would come the answer for sin. Deuteronomy chapter 18, I will raise up for them a prophet, capital P, prophet. A prophet like Moses, not Moses, but, but a prophet like Moses. He will be the answer. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, and speaking to David, he says, When your days, David, are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Not David's kingdom. I'm going to establish the seed of David's kingdom. And your house, David, and your kingdom, it will be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. This is the it. This is the it that is coming to pass. We read it last week in Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. This is, again, the it of Luke chapter 2. We fast forward to chapter 9 of Isaiah. Again, the the reference we read last Sunday and have in our benediction scripture each Sunday morning in December. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. For upon the throne of David and over his kingdom he will order it and establish it with judgment and justice From that time forward, even forevermore, this is the it that is coming to pass, that is unfolding in Luke's gospel. Uh, Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth to me the one who will be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And then we open up the gospels. We open up the New Testament, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, and it, all of these things that we've just rehearsed, it came to pass. It happened. It happened just as the Bible unfolded for us, just as the Old Testament prophesied, just as Jesus said, everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, it's about me. All of that is coming to pass. Matthew's gospel says it like this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is how it happened. This is how the promise was fulfilled. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right moment, at just the right time, when God had ordained for it to take place 4,000 years after Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, it came to pass. It came to pass. Of course, Satan has tried to do everything he can to stop this moment from happening. But he could not. God fulfilled the promise the Savior is born. And as we have noted on several occasion, the occasions, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, they were, they were filled with chaos, struggle. There was a census being taken by Caesar Augustus. It required everyone to return to the city of their birth. And for, and for jo- Joseph and Mary, this meant traveling from Nazareth back to the little town of Bethlehem because Joseph himself was a descendant of David, Bethlehem being the city of David, this is where he would return for the census. 
And it was a long, difficult, 90-mile journey. In these days, on foot, it would take about seven days to make this journey. And so they begin from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Everything is coming to pass. Everything is being placed into order. As much as they hated to journey back for the census, it's just something else to put on the schedule. God was orchestrating all of this to bring to pass the it that he has promised. Verses 6 and 7 here of Luke chapter 2. Look at it there. It says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son while they were there in Bethlehem for the purpose of obeying the census, fulfilling the orders that were placed upon them as citizens of this region. She brought forth her firstborn son while they were there, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Think of it, there was no place of comfort. That is what is meant here by no room for them in the end. No place of comfort for them to stay. And it is often speculated as to what this might have been. Would it have been a stable or a cave or a shed? We really don't know, but the baby was on the way. That's what we do know. And there was nothing that was going to put this event on hold until a comfortable place was was secured. That's not how it works. The baby was coming, and so they had to do with what they had, and in this situation, there was nothing, nothing of comfort to them. And as he was born, Mary swaddled him because the newborn babies like to be swaddled. Even Jaden, even these many months later, still likes to be swaddled. He finds himself uh, most at comfort and ready to rest when he is swaddled up nice and tight and comfortable. This is what Mary is doing for her newborn baby. She is swaddling her newborn baby, her newborn son. And she laid him in a feeding trough. Again, no place of comfort. No midwife. No hospital bed. No crib. This is all that there was. This was how God ordained it to be. And it wasn't pretty in terms of a baby delivery that we see in our modern times. And it certainly wasn't the way an earthly king would have been received, whether it was a cave or a stable or whatever it might have been. But it was the most wonderful birth this world has ever known. Because it was not the birth of an ordinary baby. It was the birth of the Savior, the seed of the woman promised by God nearly 4,000 years before this had arrived at just the exact moment God had planned. And God had appointed this is the promise fulfilled. But not only do we see in Luke chapter 2 the promise fulfilled, right down secondly, we, we see that the Savior has come. The Savior has come. And so beginning at verse 8, Luke gives us insight to another wonderful moment in the story of Christ's birth. In the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherd's fields. And these shepherds, as the story unfolds for us, were sleeping out in these fields and in caves where they were watching their flocks as they journeyed from location to location. I have had the privilege, along with some of you, to visit these fields in Bethlehem. I've got a couple of pictures here that I thought you might would just find interesting. One of them is, uh, is a picture of 
Well, let's see if we had the pictures. I thought we had some pictures. Do we not? If not, we're going to move right on forward. You'll just have to imagine some fields and some caves and shepherds out there. That, that, that night, while these shepherds are there in the fields, an angel appears to those shepherds and he says to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. This was the announcement the angels gave to these shepherds, born to you this day. It's a very important message. Born to you, yes, you who are out here in the fields. You who are sleeping in the caves. You who are considered the lowest of society. Yes, even you. You has been born this day in the city of David. A, a Savior. A Savior. This is who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. The Rescuer of sinners. And He was born to these shepherds, to any who will believe on Him as the Savior of their life. Galatians 4, we've already quoted a portion of it. It is one of my favorite scriptures in relation to the coming of Christ. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This is who is born to us. He is born to us a savior, a redeemer, one who will allow us Adoption from God the Father. The, the saying goes, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. So God sent us a Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior. The angel said to Matthew and Matthew, or said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And just how does he have the ability to save us? The ability to forgive us, to make us children of God? Hebrews 9, 26, we recently studied it in our journey through the book of Hebrews, puts it like this. He, that is Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is how he accomplishes salvation. This is how he forgives our sins. This is what gives him the ability to say to all of us, your sins are forgiven. Because God himself hath appeared. He appeared in the baby, Jesus, who lived in perfection on this earth as a man, yet at the same time being God. He laid down his life, sacrificed himself so that he could accomplish the work that was necessary to forgive us. He did this. 
by the sacrifice of himself. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, and you know, John says, that he was manifested, that he, that he came to take away our sins. And he's able to take away our sins, John says, because in him there is no sin. That's why the answer is not in us. That's why the answer was not in Seth. It's not in Noah. It wasn't in Abraham. It's, it's not in King David. The answer has never been in us. The answer is only in Jesus because he is the only man to ever live in perfection, to live without sin. He, he is able to take away our sins because in him there is no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made him to be the sacrifice for us. He, he became our substitute, dying in our place that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, our Savior, was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Christmas is the story of God's relentless love for us. God's relentless love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved you. He so loved me that he gave. He gave himself. He gave his son. You know, when I think about how Christ came and what he did for me, I am amazed at his love. Christmas reminds us that there is no greater love than this. No greater love than when a man lays down his life for his friends. No greater love than when God himself leaves heaven to become one of us. To endure the same sufferings, the same temptations, but to endure it victoriously. He became like you. He became like me. So that he might save me. It's his love. And what's amazing is, is no matter how stinky and messy the manger of your heart is today, God has chosen to come and be placed right in the middle of it all. He's God. He could have been put anywhere he wanted to be put. But all the events that he orchestrated, he did so to bring to fruition the way that he came into this world, a place where there was no room for him, no acknowledgement of him as king. A stable, a cave, a a manger, a feeding trough, a messy, stinky place. But yet God willingly placed himself right there in the middle of it all. That's how much he loves us. 
And it's how much he loves you this morning. As stinky and as messy and as complicated and as chaotic your heart may be. God said, that's where I want to lay down. That's where I want to be placed. Because this is why he was born. And that's what we see unfolding for us in the Gospels as we trace the history of Christmas, his story, the story of Jesus coming into the world. We see the promise fulfilled. Sin messed up God's plan. But yet God's plan can never be overruled for even when sin messes up God's dynamic, God still has a plan of redemption and he made a promise in the un. The Old Testament unfolds for us promise after promise after promise that this is going to happen. And now we see that he has come. The Savior has been born. Which leads me to the third dynamic of Luke chapter 2, and it's simply this. The worshipers rejoice. The worshipers rejoice. The promise fulfilled. The Savior has come. And thirdly, the worshipers rejoiced. In the story of Christmas, there are a number of recorded moments over the news of Christ's birth. We see a couple of them right here before us in chapter 2. You have your Bible already open to it. Let's look at it. We see the angels rejoicing in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They're rejoicing over the, over the coming of Christ. We, we see the shepherds rejoicing. Then the shepherds returned, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The angels are rejoicing. The shepherds are rejoicing. Those are not the only groups of people rejoicing in the story of Christ's birth. If you were to go back to chapter number one, we'd find John the Baptist rejoicing in a very unique way in chapter one and verse 44. How is John the Baptist rejoicing? Well, he is rejoicing in the womb of his his mother Elizabeth. A wonderful passage of Scripture reminding us of the sanctity of life and how that life begins at conception. Here, John the Baptist in the womb of his mother is not leaping because of what his mom ate that night. He is leaping with joy after just being told the news by Mary that she has miraculously conceived a child who is to be called Jesus, the Savior whom we have long awaited for. Upon the news, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Mary rejoiced also in Luke chapter 1. Simeon rejoiced in Luke chapter 2. He said, I can die now. I can go. God, you can, you can take me. The news of your coming has is, is fulfilled my heart's longing. Anna rejoiced in Luke chapter 2. The wise man rejoiced with exceeding great joy upon the news of Christ's birth. And we need not be surprised by all of this. God fulfilled the promise. A Savior has come. No wonder the angel said to the shepherds in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, all kinds of people. Families rejoicing. 
Shepherds are rejoicing. Angels are rejoicing. Prophets are rejoicing. All kinds of people are rejoicing. Why? For there is born to you this day a Savior. A Savior. Life is full of sorrow, isn't it? Weariness and misery is still, even as believers, a dreadful pattern in our lives. But in the midst of it all, there is a joy that comes when we spend time in worship of our Savior. That's exactly what each one of these worshipers were rejoicing for. They were rejoicing as a result of their worship of Christ. The angels worshiped and rejoiced. The shepherds worshiped and rejoiced. Sammy and Anna worshiped and rejoiced. Elizabeth, Mary, they worshiped and rejoiced. So much of the joy that we need in our lives comes as we intentionally and genuinely fall in worship of Christ our Savior. Of course, this worship is the fruit of a heart that believes in Him, that is trusting Him as Lord and Savior of their life. May we not fail to give God the worship that He deserves Even when our lives are a mess, even when sorrow abounds, stress and busyness and anxiety, may we find ourselves gathered with God's people in worship. May we go on a walk in worship. May we worship by singing praises to Him, driving down the road. May we find our quiet spot somewhere in worship because as we worship God in the midst of our pain, brings joy. Did all the circumstances of Joseph and Mary's life ease up after Christ was born? No. The decree was still made. They still had to hide. There was still anxiety, still sorrow, still dealing with the fact that many people believe this was an illegitimate birth. The sorrow, the suffering was still there, but the worship brought joy. The worship brought joy. And so it is in our lives. Worshippers rejoice. Worshippers rejoice. I've come across recently a little phrase that has helped me over and over in my mind. It says, when joy eludes you, praise. Praise. When joy seems to be passing, worship, sing, praise. The promise fulfilled, the Savior came, the worshipers rejoiced. I want to close by telling you three very important things on this Sunday before Christmas. I want you to know that number one, there is a God. There is a God. We read about him in the pages of his word. In fact, this book is about him. It is the revelation of God to man. We open it up and we see that there is a God who created all things. And we see that there is a God who has a plan and purpose 
for mankind. There is a God. I I want you to know, secondly, that there is a God who loves you. (laughs) He loves you. When the fullness of time came, God sent His Son. That gift, the the manifestation of Himself through Jesus is the result of His, His love for you. His love for you. I'm often reminded that I am worse than I think that I am. Do you ever get down on yourself in that morbid self-hatred kind of way? It's a humbling thought that even in our own thoughts, when we think of how sinful, how much we fail, to remind ourselves we're a lot worse than we even think we are. Oh, but here's the good news. His love is far greater than we could ever imagine. There is a God. And there is a God who loves you. And I want you to know thirdly as we close this out. That there is a God who wants to be your father. He wants to be your dad. He wants you to be his child. He wants to redeem you and adopt you. And the glory of his redemption is that he cleanses you from the penalty of sin and he makes you his own in the process. Do you know God as your father? Have you felt in your soul the immense love that he has given to you through his son Jesus Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you received the gift that God has given to you? It's yours to open. And you open it by faith in Him. It's actually a unique thought, isn't it? That remarkable gifts often come in unremarkable packages. I'm not the best gift wrapper. I've had a habit in recent years of just buying gift bags to make it a little bit more presentable. In fact, I considered just wrapping a trash bag around a couple of things. It would look better than what I can do. When Jesus came to this earth, it was not very remarkable in its wrapping. Oh, but what a remarkable gift it is. If you can get through what is the seeming mess and open it up and peel it back, you'll find the greatest gift ever given, a gift of love, a gift of grace, and it's yours. It's yours to open up freely by faith in him. My plea to you this morning is come to Jesus. For to you, yes, you, is born this day. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.